The following production is part of the Play Some Video Games Podcast Network. And welcome to Board with Video Games, the gaming podcast that strives for the right balance of coverage for games you play on your table and on your television. You can think of us as the Tony Hawk and Eric Sparrow of gaming podcasts. We're a proud member of the PSVG Podcast Network and still to be part of the Dice Tower Network as well. I am one of your hosts, Kyle, and joining me on this co-op adventure, the guy who knows the hidden tape is above the half pipe. Josh, how are you doing this evening? Good, I'm Googling Eric Sparrow. Oh, really? <laughs> Uh, oh, he's a fictional character. He is a fictional. Well, I'm sure there's probably a real Eric Sparrow somewhere. Did you change it to Erica or did I do that? I didn't touch anything. <laughs> oh, I probably, I must have done that. I'm typing my wife's name a little too often, clearly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Eric Sparrow, because he was the, the bad guy in Underground Thug, one of those games. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know that I ever evolved past Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 or 2, so... Uh, that might be why I don't know who he is. <laughs> yeah, American Wasteland. I don't remember yeah, which yeah. Tony Hawk game he was in, <laughs> but he was the kind of the bad guy in one of them, and it was just kind of funny that it was you know Tony Hawk and Eric Sparrow. Like that's funny, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I get so it. How, how has your week been, Josh? We had you know what was supposed to be the first big, real big week of uh, news and stuff <laughs> from Jeff Keighley's summer game fest yeah you know, we had that going on how was your week outside of that because i'm sure we'll talk about those things during all of our updates and stuff oh but. you know just another weird week where i don't know what day is what and uh things of that nature as uh <laughs> we thought we were going back to work monday turns out that's not happening so okay that, that's good <laughs> now <laughs> it's just pushed till june 1st so uh yeah, so I don't know. Just it is everything's just uh weird. So things are okay. <laughs> yeah, so we uh on Friday was the day that we finished quote unquote opening back up, which granted we're not fully open by any means as a state, but the county I live in is one of the counties that had had to go later than many of the other counties because we had more cases of COVID. So we kind of opened it back up on Friday and Went to go run some errands on Saturday. My goodness. <laughs> Everyone was out and about. It was pretty pretty ridiculous. Uh, and most people, I was surprised, in most places, most people were wearing masks. Hmm. But it was really funny because one of the places that we went to was a nursery because we were getting some plants for our yard. And the nursery on their website and their Facebook were like, hey, here are the guidelines we'd really like customers to follow. One of those things is they said, hey, we'd really appreciate it if customers wore masks. They're not requiring it, but they'd really appreciate it. Yeah. Funny thing was, like, none of their employees were wearing masks. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Uh, <laughs> that's a bummer. That Yeah, that was a bit odd. I was like, well, okay. And I shouldn't say none. There were some who were, but definitely the ones I talked to were not. Well, it's noticeable, the ones who aren't, right? That's like, you're like, yeah. wait a second. Well, I, I went to CVS today to pick up a prescription, and the door says... As of the 17th, which is today, the day we're recording, by state law, Massachusetts state law, you will not be allowed to enter uh, 
this building without a mask on. And I turn around while I'm in line at the pharmacy and the person behind me has their mask on their neck. So I'm like, awesome. No one stopped this guy from coming in with his Bowser well, backpack had to be sitting in on. his carriage. <laughs> I guess they would say it had to be on properly. It just needs to be on your body in some it's way, your body. Or form. put it around my wrist and walk around. Like, what <laughs> yeah, I just hold it up to your mouth every time you talk. Yeah, yeah. Because that's the only time that you need them, right? Only the only time, especially it's okay to touch them and move them around with your hands all the time, even when they're on your face. You can keep adjusting them, and that's safe too. Right. <laughs> Just touch, touch, say, touch. Yeah, I will say I don't like wearing them at all. Hey, I, I don't either. That's really annoying because I <laughs> I get really bad anxiety from like the inability to breathe effectively. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it really, I really don't like doing it. I do it, but man, I don't like it. Ugh. I hear you. And, and it's, I have asthma, so it's hard for me to breathe regularly. And even the smallest, I can't sleep with sheets over my head because I feel like oh, gotcha. I can't breathe. So I feel the same way. Like it's a very like claustrophobic feeling. Mm-hmm. But then I see the well, people one- who have that problem and they're wearing the face shields. Right. And I'm like, that's not helping you at all. <laughs> like, <laughs> why? <laughs> Well, this one thing this has definitely shown me is that it's a good thing I did not go into a field where I regularly have to wear something like that because I could not handle yeah. it. Yeah. Hey, well, that's so. yeah, for sure. I'm sure people who thought they could do a certain career path found that found out they had hindrances like that. Right. Whether it's like claustrophobia for any tradesmanship, like a plumbing or electrical, mm-hmm. you don't necessarily think you'll be in claustrophobic situations until. You're, it's in practice, and you're like, oh, why didn't I think that? I'd be climbing under and in things in this job. <laughs> right. Well, speaking of which, it was funny because the wife was watching one of the many, many home improvement, home renovation shows she watches, and somebody was having to fix a foundation. And this was a house in the south with no with no basement. So to fix the foundation, you just crawled in that little crawl space between the floor <laughs> of the house and the ground. Yeah. And I was like, my gosh, I could never do that job. Because number one, how hot would it be to be in the South in that little crawl space? Number two, who knows what critters are in there? I was going to say, if a spider starts crawling on you, you can't just run away. You're stuck. I know. <laughs> You're going to crack your head on something. You have a whole house above you. It's not yeah. like you can just go anywhere. And yeah, so I was like, I appreciate the people who are willing to do those jobs because that is a job. That if I had to do, I would do. But boy, would I be begrudging to do that job. My (laughs) goodness. So anything else we should talk about before we get into the show? No, I don't think so. I mean, who knows? There's just lots of things. But we got to save that. We need content for more of everything. (laughs) Oh, that's true. We do do need content for that. Which Though I do feel like we find that without too much issue. All right. So thanks so much for joining us this week, everyone. As always, if you have any feedback, questions, suggested topics, hit us up at Board with Fiji on Twitter or check out all of the awesome stuff over on the Instagram, also Board with Fiji. We're a proud part of Play Some Video Games and PSVG is on Patreon. We're absolutely thrilled with the support you have given us there thus far. And if you'd like to monetarily support what we do, you can find us there at patreon.com slash PSVG. But the most important thing is just that you listen and maybe share our show with someone you think would enjoy it. We're also a member of the Dice Tower Podcast Network, so if you enjoy our conversations about board games and would like to dive deeper into that world, we encourage you to check out the Dice Tower Podcast as well as all the other members of the network. No matter what type of board games you enjoy, there's a podcast on the network that is right for you. Just a quick reminder, the Quacks of Quedlinburg contest is still going on. So between now, which is the day this podcast releases, 
and you hopefully listen to it, and 11.59 p.m. Eastern on May 22nd, which is Friday, you just either need to send us an email at boardwithvg at gmail.com or send a tweet to us at boardwithvg on Twitter that simply says quack or use a Mighty Ducks gif if you'd like. That works too. Um, and you don't need to do anything else. So if you do that, you'll get entered in the drawing to win. The winner will be announced next week. And then shortly after that, I will be in contact with shipping things. Uh, but yeah, brand new copy of Quacks of Quedlinburg could be yours simply for quacking at us. So I hope you do that. With that, let's move on to the show. Josh, what is your first topic this week? Hey, first, I wanted to say we get a lot of uh, participation on that so far. I'm impressed. We have. A lot of emails, a lot of tweets. Yeah, so good job. very good. Uh, okay, so the first news we have, I think, is the earliest news we got of the week after our last uh, uh, podcast. And we had a pretty, I'm going to say, I keep saying it's a pretty big announcement. And then I keep questioning if it is or not. <laughs> so I'm just going to say it's pretty exciting news um, about the board game and video game worlds colliding in that uh, Days of Wonder is partnering with Blizzard and they are releasing Small Worlds of Warcraft, uh, which is, I, I do think that that's very exciting. A two to five player game uh, where you control several islands in hostile worlds. Um, and, uh, you're basically, uh, trying to rule Azeroth. Now we're, we're, we're changing the map to Azeroth and you'll have, uh, the races from World of Warcraft. Uh, you're going to have a double-sided six double-sided game boards, which is pretty impressive. Uh, it's definitely a, a change from the small world map. Like when you buy a small world, you just get the regular four sided fold up board this is six separate double-sided game boards um uh, you're also going to get 16 world of warcraft races with matching banners and tokens by the way this is from daysofwonder.com uh 20 special power badges uh seven legendary places five artifacts 10 mountains 15 murlocs nine wisp walls four harmony tokens the list goes on and on um yeah, it's it's designed by uh, Philip Kiertz. Um I believe he's the original designer of Small World. Correct. And I think this is very exciting because it is more support to video games becoming board games and also yeah. introducing the worlds to each other. Now, a lot of people who never played board games um, may be more interested in trying the World of Warcraft version of Small Worlds. And I think it's nice because it's not like a Monopoly uh, re-theme, and it's also Small World's first re-theme, which is big for them. It also opens a lot of doors for them if it's successful, um, which is something that I think Talisman, I don't know how well the Talisman games are selling, but you know we have mm -hmm. Kingdom Hearts and Batman, and now they just announced Star Wars Talisman, so... Uh, which will only be sold in Europe, so that's kind of a bummer. Um, so what do you think? Are you excited about this? I'll be honest with you. Uh, I'm a Warcraft guy. I'm not a World of Warcraft guy, so I know I'll be familiar with some of the characters, but not all of them. Yeah, I won't really know any of them, <laughs> other than from my few times when I played Hearthstone back in the day. Uh, that's about the level of knowledge I have for the Warcraft people, but... I think this is cool. I think it seems, from what I know of World of Warcraft, 
from what I know of Warcraft as a property as a whole, this seems like a good fit as a board game goes. Yeah. I think that I'm sure other people thought of Small World of Warcraft and that mashup of names in the past, but it really works <laughs> really well. Yeah. So that that is smart. Uh, I, I think this is cool. I don't know if I will get this just because, like I said, I'm not a huge Warcraft person. Small World's a great game. I really like Small World. I think it's a lot of fun. It's a game, one of those games that when I first got into the hobby board game place, it was one of those games that got played all the time. And I still have my copy of it. I haven't broken it out in quite some time, but this is kind of making me want to do that. But I think this is great. You know, it we're seeing more and more video game properties come to the table. You know, uh, Resident Evil 3 mm-hmm. was just on Kickstarter. There was a Wolfenstein game that was just on Kickstarter, which eh, we could talk about that in a different topic potentially someday. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're seeing more and more of the video game world come to the tabletop world. And I believe I said in my beginning of the year predictions, I think I said that we would have multiple new board games from video game properties that we had not known about yet that would still come out this year. And I feel like I'm, I'm if I haven't totally nailed that prediction, I've come <laughs> darn close to nailing that prediction. So this is cool. I, I do wonder if this is to appeal to the Warcraft fan and try to get them into Small World. And I think with the weight of Small World, that totally is doable if it's someone who hasn't played a lot of board games. Yeah. But yeah, I think this is a nice partnership. It makes sense for what Days of Wonder is doing. I was trying to think of a way that Days of Wonder could potentially, you know, bring other properties into games. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, Ticket to Ride, I was the one, obviously, the big one I was trying to think of, and I couldn't think of a good <laughs> trade video game, which I know there are some, but I just couldn't think of one off the top of my head that that would make a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, uh, but I could see, you know, a Memoir 44 Call of Duty game. That would be kind of, that could be a thing that could work, right? Sure. Or Battlefield. There, That might be kind of a thing. So, yeah, I think it's cool. I hope they do more of this. We'll just have to wait and see. I agree with you. Uh, it's a good step. Uh and I'm like I said, like you said, I actually have I have Small World also. It was definitely a game that was a go-to back in the day. I have all the expansions for it, or oh, it had at the time. I'm not sure where they are now. Right. Um, and yeah, we had a lot of fun playing that. So like, I know that it's a it's a well-established game, and it it the fundamentals of the gameplay itself are solid and unique to other games. Um. So yeah, I'm excited to see a video game IP transferred into a game i'm familiar with and know that it's already good for sure i mean they could do quadropolis a city skylines they have a city Pirates skylines Cove. board game oh do they really yeah oh that's right they do don't they well <laughs> missed opportunity missed opportunity hopefully this will be the first of many then for them yeah but yeah small world of warcraft man that name is so good it's yeah it rolls off the tongue <laughs> it really does <laughs> awesome anything else you would like to say about that our uh, work's done job's done <laughs> <laughs> I screwed it up. <laughs> All right. So my first topic is just some impressions of some things I've been playing. For on the tabletop, the thing I've been playing the most is still Quacks of Quedlinburg. Because let me tell you, the different books in that game really add so much darn depth to what is being played and make every game feel so different when you are experiencing book one for the first time to experiencing book four for the first time. There's a lot of variation, a lot of difference. I know you've played this game as well. Have you played all the different books with it? So you'll have to, um, I must, I don't know if I misread it or what, but I thought those are just for player count because we've played so, for a player. So we did play with 
the books that it said to play with four player. So one of the cards, uh, the black one, yeah, is based off of player count. Yeah. Okay. All of the uh, all of the others are the number of tabs. Just mean that all of the one tab ones you should play the one tab books gotcha. together. The two tabs should be the two tab books together, but it doesn't matter for player count. Okay. So I've only so, played. I played one, three, and four. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. So you haven't played two. I haven't played two. Wait, I played two, three, and four. No, I played one, three, and four. I didn't play two, okay. three, and four. Yeah, because one is the one they tell you to start with, and yeah. then they kind of get a little more complicated as you go. But yeah, I think it's a nice way to really have that game also kind of bridge from being a pretty entry level, straightforward game to towards the end, then really trying to challenge the way you think about your turns, challenge the value of what tokens are and how they can be used. And I think I, a lot of it, oddly enough, as I knock my monitor everywhere, my <laughs> camera goes ridiculous. A lot of what it actually made me think about was the first time, well, not the first time, but when I started learning to play Magic the Gathering, which is odd, but when I started to play Magic the Gathering, you know, you start at 20 life, and obviously if you get to zero, you lose. So I did everything I could to maintain 20 life yeah i really never excuse me wanted to lose life and then it was explained to me one time that really the first 19 points of life don't matter it's really just the one at the end that matters <laughs> and it's all just a resource of trading off of saying okay yes is it worth me losing three life right now so that next turn i can do this thing is that better for me and really just thinking about and changing my perspective on what life meant is kind of what Playing through the different books of Quacks of Quinlanburg really changed my perspective on like what tokens meant and how they can be used. And it isn't just as straightforward as getting more tokens equals I'm going to be able to get further in the pot. It, it is, but really how you do that and the value that each of the tokens have and things that might not seem valuable uh, when you really kind of start thinking about it. You're like, oh, no, this does make good sense. Uh, I just have to be able to do it effectively. You know, you see that a lot in deck building games too, where once you play a game enough, you recognize that getting rid of cards is a good thing. Yeah. Like thinning your deck is a thing you want to do, even though it seems counterintuitive when you start. And a lot of deck builders, you don't get to do that until you, as expansions, then thinning and things like that tend to become a bigger deal. So I think Quacks of Quidlinburg, even though it does have expansions, does a really nice job within just the base box, kind of giving you that beginner experience all the way up to a little more of an advanced experience, all within just what you get. Um, in the base game, which I think is really cool. So that's been most of my time on the table. Um, on the television, I've been playing some multiplayer games as usual, but there's two other games I want to talk about the most. The first one being Trials of Mana. Mm. This was a game that after playing Final Fantasy VII Remake, I really had a hankering just to kind of keep playing those Japanese role-playing games. Uh, if you're not familiar with Trials of Mana, <laughs> oddly enough, also released by Square, in, you know, within like a week or two of Final Fantasy VII coming out, they released Trials of Mana on PlayStation 4 and Switch. This is a remake of a 16-bit RPG, obviously Trials of Mana 3, or Second Tetsetsu 3 is, is how it would have been known then, because it never came West before. This is the first time the game was ever released in the West with full, you know, English subtitles and voice acting and all of these good things. Now... So overall impressions, this game is a lot of fun. I'm really having a good time with it. I was hoping to finish before we recorded, and I'm not quite there. But there's a couple things that are important to know about Trials of Mana. Number one, it's an action RPG. 
So there is no uh, turn-based anything. You are running around, swinging your sword, all of that good stuff. The game has six main characters. And when you start the game, you pick who your main character is going to be and then the two other people who are in your party. So there's three characters that you'll see throughout the game. But the first time you play, there's three characters you never get to use at all. So in order to quote-unquote beat this game, you have to play through it three times at least. Oh, boy. Because there are the characters are paired in a way that for each grouping of two, there's three groupings of two, and there's a different final boss for those three groupings. Hmm. So you have to kind of play through the game three times to experience everything. The first playthrough is about 25 hours or so is what things are telling me online. I'm 21 or so hours into it right now. Yeah. However, after the end of your first playthrough, you apparently get some nice little buffs that when you go to New Game Plus, it makes the second and third playthroughs take somewhere between six and eight hours. Oh, my gosh. So it definitely pushes things along. So you're not having to you know spend 75 hours in the game to experience everything. It's more in that 40 to 50 hour time frame which seems pretty doable it definitely seems like a thing that could happen the voice acting in this game i i usually don't like saying this it's just not good <laughs> it really really is not good one of the characters in particular her name is charlotte talks like a baby the entire time so her voice actress literally is talking like we are gonna do so good guys this is awesome and like has like W's in places of where other letters should be. <laughs> and it's like, we're getting stronger. Like that's the way she talks the entire game, <laughs> the entire game. Now the bad thing is, is that she's a really good support character. So she's really good at healing. So I was like, well, my first playthrough having someone who heals, you know, well is a good thing for me to have. Uh, she's very annoying. <laughs> very, very <laughs> annoying. You can switch to Japanese, um, audio hmm. and I haven't done that because every time I think about doing it you have to like completely you have to make the switch and then completely quit the game and then reload it and yeah. it'll do it so every time I think about it I am like oh shoot I haven't saved in however long <laughs> and I don't want to lose all the progress I just made so yeah so there have been times where I have definitely just shut the audio off and read it uh, while listening to other music but the music in the game is very very good uh, the voice acting just yeah there there's a lot to it it go at its best the voice acting is fine. <laughs> and I really, you know, I'm someone who really doesn't like to come off negative about things. And I know people work very, very hard. And I'm sure the voice actors work very, very hard uh, to do the best they could. You know, and I, I just think there probably wasn't a ton of money for this game. I think it definitely was a little bit of a budget title. And they did things in one take or two takes would be my guess. Uh, just so they could get those lines down. And when you figure, you know, you have six main protagonists that you could choose from, that's a lot of voice audio or a lot of audio that has to be recorded. So that's a little rough and that's unfortunate. But with that being said, overall, the gameplay is really, really fun. The It's a cool, fun island to explore and the places that you go are great. The, the battles and the mechanics of the battles are really good. Other than your, the AI of your other two characters is pretty bad. You can switch between the three characters at any point during battle. So though you pick a main person who kind of chooses the path of the story, you can switch to any of the other two characters at any point during the game for battle. Uh, even if you enter a town with one of the other characters, that becomes the person you run around town with. So you can switch. But the problem is, is they are really bad at getting out of the way of attacks. And it's not like, oh... This person or this enemy just did a quick melee attack and they got hit. In the game, if there's a charge attack, a big red thing comes up on the screen and shows you where the attack is going to hit. 
And then starting in the center of that, it kind of grows out until it gets to the final edges. And that's when the attack happens. And your AI companions just stay there. <laughs> they don't get out of the way. They don't move. And then if you try to switch to them and move, then the person you are will like run into it. <laughs> and you're like, come on, person. So that's the most frustrating thing about the game is just that sometimes your companions just don't move very well. You can set the battle mechanics for them about do they support? Do they attack? Do they attack the character you're attacking, do they attack other characters? You can kind of set all of that in the menu. And overall, that works pretty well. There, I, I've only tweaked it one or two times where I've adjusted things slightly. But for the most part, other than those not getting out of the way of attacks, the AI works okay. It, it's not too bad. But I had never played a mana game before. I think I had Secret of Mana on my Super Nintendo, but I don't know that I ever played it for more than 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. So overall, really enjoying it. Like I said, I'm almost to the end. Uh, the story's pretty straightforward. It's not something that's going to rock your world. Uh, but if you're just looking for a fun action RPG, that's, like I said, if you want to just play through it one time, takes about 25 hours, uh, I recommend it. Like I said, it's on PS4 and Switch. Looks good, runs well. There's a couple of more loading screens than I would like, but overall, not too shabby. Josh, do you have any desire to play Trials of Mana? Uh... <laughs> if it's no, that's fine. I, I have a desire to try it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, I'm not really sure the action RPG aspect makes me more interested in it. So I might, right. like, I'm interested in giving it a shot. So we'll, we'll see, uh, if I get to it. Yeah. There's only, and there's some cool upgrade mechanics. Like you change classes as you go throughout the game and then you have a light, light and dark choice. So when you upgrade the first time you can go upgrade to light or dark. And then when you upgrade the second time, you can upgrade to light or dark. So you can go light, 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 dark, dark, light, dark, dark. Yeah. So there's a lot of different options of where your character can end up and that affects their abilities and the different things they could do. So, you know, for a game that was a 16 bit game and they really haven't changed that much other than the way it looks and, how it feels to play is, is you know, more modern, but story-wise, mechanics-wise, all of that is basically what the game was. It's pretty deep as far as what they were able to do back on the Super Nintendo, which is pretty cool to see. So nice. um, it's a nice, yeah, it's kind of the opposite side of the remake coin, right? On one side, you have Final Fantasy VII Remake. Right. And then on the other side, you have Trials <laughs> of Mana. Yeah. And it's really like kind of the two sides of the coin about how people are going to do things. So that's the one game I've been spending some time with. The other game then... See, Josh has started these game nights, which, by the way, are awesome. Really excited. <laughs> Hopefully, I can actually participate this week. Looking forward to it. But in order to do this, I had to actually get Steam. So I have Steam mm -hmm. now. But, Josh, little did I know. Well, I kind of knew, but I've just never done anything about it. Is in order to add friends on Steam, you have to pay. You have to spend at least $5. Yes. They don't let you add any friends until you spend $5. So I said, okay, I have to spend $5. What game should I get? Okay. And the game I got was a game I have been looking forward to playing, was going to wait until it came to console from one of my favorite developers. But I said, fine, it's still in early access, so I'm just going to jump in. And that game is Hades oh, from Supergiant. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I've played not a ton, maybe about two and a half hours of Hades. Hades is a roguelite where you are playing the son of Hades, um, and you're basically trying to escape the underworld. And you go through, you do your run, you die, you get, come back. Just because, you know, you're already kind of in the underworld and the underworld's made for you to never escape. It's actually a really good setting for a game like this. Yeah. That the whole, you know, and there's a lot of lore and stuff that's going on. 
So overall, this reminds me a lot of all the best things of Bastion put into a roguelite game where you're doing your run, you're getting some stuff that action combat feels very much like Bastion did. And then you're dying, coming back, investing in some upgrades, maybe unlocking a new weapon, jumping back into the dungeon, doing the run again. For a game that is supposedly in early access, my goodness, does this game run well? It, the this like fully voice acted. The sound and music is amazing. It looks incredible. So I guess the early access part is they just haven't finished the end yet. <laughs> like I I don't know what else is problematic. There's a full upgrade system. There are a whole bunch of different weapons. There's tons of different enemies. And granted, I know it's been in early access for a bit, but. If this is early access, I've been sleeping on this because, my goodness, this game is amazing. <laughs> this is easily – I have to put more time into it. But, you know, this would be a game that would be buying for one of my top games of the year right now based off the couple of hours uh-huh. I've put into it. I need to put a lot more time in. I haven't even really gotten out of the first world yet. I got to the last boss. I got to my the first boss in the, la- in the first world. Yeah, I got the boss of the first world, I should say. And I died. So I got to that point, but I haven't gotten <laughs> past that point yet. But overall, Hades – Really enjoying it. Definitely a thing I'm going to continue to play. It's really nice that it is on the computer I'm using for work. So if I have like 20 minutes before a meeting, I will sometimes jump in and do a quick run uh, before my next meeting is and put it down. It's also nice because my Xbox Elite controller is actually getting used. Nice. Uh, so that's kind of a nice thing too. Uh, but it's, I think it's 20 bucks on Steam. So or I might be 25. I think I got it on sale. Uh, they are doing a nice job. They provide when the next update is going to be. So the next update is coming out in June. And the reason they said that it's taking so long is they're op- optimizing the engine so it can be released on console. So they're at least getting to the point now where the end must be in sight, where they're still looking to release this game this year on console. But, you know, it, it is super giant, still firing it on all cil- cylinders, doing an absolute spectacular job. Everything you know them for, from the way games look to the, how they feel to how they sound, is 100% present in Hades, uh, just you know, in a little bit of a different shell and a little bit of a different style. But I highly recommend it. It's absolutely phenomenal. Awesome. So those are the games I've been playing. That is my topic one. Josh, what is your topic two? Hey, my topic two is your topic one. I figured I would just give a kind of a, a little bit of a rundown of what I've been playing <clears throat> since, we, since I did launch... Um, game night and and actually um the first night didn't really take off but we had two or three more game nights since then uh so people have been interested which is good um i think what i should say first is i did play the wingspan demo on pc Uh, you can download it now anyone can download it um but because i'm in the beta signed up for the beta i got an email just saying hey like beta is coming soon uh but here go download the demo and try it and it's it's just a tutorial. Okay. So it gives this you... Is oh, sorry, what we saw. Yeah, this is what we saw, though, on the Switch yeah. Nintendo little thing when they showed it off, right? Is that version of the game? In fact, this version of the game on Steam, all the buttons are Switch mm-hmm. buttons. So when Perfect. it tells you to do something, it has, like, the Switch icons. So with the mouse click, you just have to, you just have to click the icon on the screen instead of using the button. <laughs> Um, Excellent. Or you can use the Xbox controller, but you have to figure out the the sub for that button. Right. Um, but what's interesting about it, so you do three rounds of tutorial, and then they make you finish out the game on your own, like, like a lot of game tutorials do. Um, if you're familiar with Wingspin, you know on the board you have three different um, areas. Um, yep. 
forest, grass. Marsh? And wetlands. Yeah, or marsh. Wetlands, marshlands, yeah. In this game, um, you, you're in one area. It fills up the whole screen. You literally just click on the left to go to the other areas. So you're not seeing all your birds on the screen at the same spot. Oh, I don't know uh, if I like that at all. But the reason, well, I can tell probably tell you the reason why they did it. They put so much sound and animation into this game. Mm-hmm. When you play a bird, it makes the call that bird makes. The bird is oh, that's an, cool. The bird is animated, and uh, a narration will come up depending on the bird and tell you about the bird when you play it. Uh, okay. So if, I think if they tried to put all that into one screen, it would get a little messy and probably be hard to right. run, especially on the Switch. Uh, not True. a burn on the Switch, just a fact. <laughs> um, so it just required like it has a lot going on. However, I'll say that this game, uh, Monster Couch, I think is developing it. They really took to heart how much love there is for the art and wingspan to right. make this game feel like the board game. It looks beautiful. The art style I love, um, and it was fun. I mean, there was still some parts where even I was like, even though I've played Wingspan, I definitely got a little confused. Uh, the way they were explaining it, but I think that just comes with playing the game more. Right. So, uh, yeah. So, check it out if you have Steam right now. I don't know if it's on the, the Nintendo eShop for demos, but it could be. So, it's only a tutorial, so it literally just shows you how to play the game and then it ends? Well, you play a full game. Okay, uh, but you play yeah, a full game. But it takes you, yeah, it takes you through the first, like, three to five turns and then it lets you finish the, the, the game. The game. Okay. So how did you feel about having your different areas on different screens? Because like I said, my initial reaction is I don't like that at all because I want to be able to look at all of my information on one screen if I can. And if I feel like my monitor should be big enough to do that, I get for the switch how that might not work. Yeah. But darn, I wish that I could just choose to have everything on one screen. Yeah. No, I hear you. But they're also trying to fit in the the food in the right hand corner. Uh, right. The draw deck in the middle of the screen, or the bottom of the screen. It, they're trying to fit a lot into one screen. I feel like it would just feel busy, too busy. Yeah, I can see that. For a newcomer, at least. They're trying to make this accessible to everybody, because a lot of people came into the hobby because of this game. True. So Very I feel true. like, I, I agree with you, it definitely was uh, a we- It was weird. It was maybe even startling when I realized that that's what you had to do. Right. Um because in the tutorial, they don't even really explain that until like the second or third step. So I'm like, wait, where is the rest of the game? <laughs> right. Um, but I think it makes sense for what they're doing. And if you see how the game looks, I think uh, it will make sense. I definitely agree. It would be better if you could see everything like mm-hmm. going on. Um, and maybe there's options to change that in the settings, potentially. Uh, right. But as far as I know, um, there isn't. Uh, but then, gotcha. like, once I got used to it, it was fine. You don't have to, once you start making a move, you don't have to complete that move. It lets you freely switch between your areas in case you want to put an egg on a different bird in a different okay. area or tuck under a different bird or, or whatever. Right. So it, okay. it still gives you those options. It's just a little bit more work. Yeah. I just have makes really the poor game memory. Yeah. Well, that's, well, that's <laughs> there for you. You just click through it. Yeah. No, um, I definitely agree with you. And, and it also helps, like, Knowing that, you know, if you just put specific birds, like, you know, like, this is only in the wetlands because it can only be there. Right. So, yeah. Right, right. But, yeah. Um, okay. But, yeah. Otherwise, I, I highly recommend it. Uh, I, I've been playing Far Cry 5 on the PC. 
Um, mm. I don't remember if I talked about this last week or not. No, I don't think so. I don't believe so. Um, I just, I've been kind of wanting to go back and play it. And now that I have a gaming rig, if you will, uh, I I thought, well, this is a great time. And it was on sale on Steam, on Ubisoft or Steam or whatever the sale was. Um, Humble Bundle, sorry. So I got the Ultimate Collector's Edition for 20 bucks. And man, it's it, it's surpassed my expectations. It looks so much better than the Xbox One X version. Uh, but it's the world's most powerful console. I know, and I shouldn't say so much. It looks noticeably better. Right. Uh, which I didn't think. So when I say so much, it's because in my head, I didn't think it was going to look much different. Right. Um, Is your I don't have monitor? A high, I don't have a high-end gaming rig, and I only have a right. 1080p monitor. Okay, that's going to be my question. Is your television compared to your monitor? Yeah, so I can't even imagine if I had a 4K monitor in, like, Devin's computer or right. some of these computers people are sharing in our Discord. Like, I, I would be blown away. Or, like, Donnie's curved monitor. Like, there's so many things that could make the game even look even more incredible. Uh, but I'm really enjoying it. It moves so smooth, and it's crisp. And uh, I know Lucas jumped on it, so I'm hoping to play some co-op with him. Since I didn't play co-op, we didn't play co-op Far Cry 5. We tried to, I think. Um, we did try. So I haven't experienced co-op yet, so I'm excited for that. Uh, and then to go on to the board game aspect. So with our board game nights uh, for PC, um, we've played so far, we've played uh, Carcassonne, Patchwork, Potion Explosion, Splendor. Kings and Assassins, Love Letter, and Mysterium, um, and Small World. Uh, small it's a lot of games. Uh, well, Small World Two, I should say, is what it's called. Um, they've all been fantastic, except for Small World Two. It's a t- it's a terrible digital adaptation of the board game. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, and you can't really this the map is locked. You can't move around with the mouse. Oh, that's too bad. So everything feels like crammed into the screen. Um, it it's messy the tutorials no there's no it's just the rules there's no tutorial tutorial ah and um i don't know i just i mean i had a fine time playing with uh kevin and lucas but um it left a lot to be desired like in what i was expecting um i think the most fun i've had so far and i think that the others will agree is with mysterium uh what a what a great digital adaptation um, including the soundtrack, which they like when you buy the game, they're like, you can download the soundtrack. So Ooh. when you play the game, they're like, we, in- we integrated the soundtrack. Um, it's very cool. We played with AI teammates. Um, we've each played as a ghost. Uh, we haven't had the AI be the ghost. Um, mm. If you're not familiar with Mysterio, it's basically Dixit meets Clue. And what happens is you have paranormal investigators. They come to this house. Um, I'll skip the thematic aspect of it. You don't need to know the story of why they're there. But one player plays this, uh, not cursed ghost, but like this ghost with unfinished business. Um, but it has a bad memory. And you're trying to solve um, who who done it. So who the person was, what room they did it in, and with which weapon. Uh, however, mm-hmm. the expansion, uh, one of the expansions does change one of those. Uh, which we found out when we tried that later. Uh, and what the ghost does is they have um, cards, like Dixit cards. So if you don't know what those are, they're tarot-sized cards with um, art, abstract art on them. Um, and they have to use these cards to 
give our detectives clues to guess what what their who their killer is and each person has their own killer location and weapon and the goal is for everyone to guess their um three mystery items to get to the end and then the ghost is given one clear killer location and weapon and then all three psychics have to try to guess which one of the three left scenarios is the correct one by just the, the clues that the ghosts give all three of them uh, but this time they're all getting the same clue instead of individual ones um, it's really great uh, the way it works is uh, it, it works perfectly on the computer uh, you can still chat if you're using like discord chat um, and so like the game discourages you from using like their chat window after a certain mm-hmm. turn but as long as the ghost isn't giving you clues because why would you want to play at that point you could just tell the right. people how to win um you can talk to each other try to help each other out what would you would guess in that situation etc um so it's been a lot of fun uh playing that um and as far as every other game uh the adaptations are great i never played king and assassins before um but that's a pretty fun game where uh, one player plays a king and his guards, and another player plays a group of assassins on a four by four map. Uh, it's almost like it's almost like tactic style, where there's squares that you can move. Each mm-hmm. character has a certain amount of spaces they can move, but the king can always only move one space. And you're trying to get to the exit, and while you're doing that, you're in this this four by four grid of townspeople it's like in a town square but some three of them are assassins but the assassins can move every person on the board they can move civilians they can move assassins they can have civilians climb on roofs of buildings so you might suspect they're assassins and you your guards have the ability to um, push people out of the way and or handcuff them but you only have a certain amount of handcuffs Mm, and if you handcuff someone they remove them from the board so, you know, uh, it limits your options uh, as far as who you might suspect uh, is the bad guy. And that was a lot of fun uh, playing as well. I've only played as the king so far, and Lucas uh, very easily defeated me. Uh, mm. Love Letter is great as well. Uh, I'm really happy with that adaptation. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, so I'm looking forward to playing D&D Lords of Waterdeep because we talked about that on our last playthrough, and then we ended up getting it. Carcassonne's great. Splendor plays really well as well. So, uh, yeah, if you're interested in any of these games, like I said, we're doing the game nights on Wednesday nights, potentially other nights. Um, just join our PSV, just PSVG Discord if you want to join us. If you don't want to chat, that's fine. You don't have to, but we are using the voice chat in those rooms to play, um, and it's easier to like communicate what games we're going to play next and things like that. So that's the preferred way to do that. Very uh, cool. And that's all I've been playing. Awesome. Well, hey, that sounds like a lot of fun things to have been playing. All right, Josh. You know, peak on everyone's mind who yes. is into video games <laughs> is the next generation of gaming. But we're going to talk about that in a little bit. First, we're going to talk about Sony has a couple big exclusives coming prior to next gen kicking off. One of those, The Last of Us Part Two, we kind of all know about. Obviously, depending on how much you read leaks, you might know a lot about it. <laughs> but in general, we kind of have an idea of what that game might be. One game we didn't know all that much about, though, was Ghost of Tsushima, which is the next game from Sucker Punch, the folks who have done Infamous and Sly Cooper before that. 
And on Thursday, Sony did a state of play all about Ghosts of Tsushima with an 18-minute presentation breaking down gameplay of how you explore the world, how combat works, customization options, photo mode, uh, samurai cinema, a whole lot of cool things that they threw out there. First off, Josh, did you watch the presentation? I did. So starting with a broad perspective, Hmm. is it easy to say from just not even necessarily a content standpoint, but from a presentation standpoint, that this was the best state of play they have done? Yeah, <laughs> I would I would say that it's probably the best state of play that we've seen, yeah. Yeah, I just think the graphics packages, how they did the conversation and people talking about stuff, all of that just seemed so much better well, rehearsed, than the previous interactions. Straightforward, easy to mm-hmm. understand, short-ish, sweet-ish, complete. Yeah. Agreed. So... Hopefully, they continue to use that type of format moving forward. I think they maybe have finally hit the sweet spot, and they could still easily do that if they did a multi-game state of play where they're covering a lot of things. They could still do it in a similar fashion. So I hope they they see that that was successful, and they stick with that format or similar, very similar to that moving forward. With that being said, what did you think of the presentation? Uh, I liked it. Uh, it was, I mean, overall good. Uh, I don't know where where do I go. Uh, I liked that they broke it down into almost chapters ish. Mm-hmm. Um, they they gave you a little bit for everybody. I uh I was a little unclear on a few things. Um, but I'm sure that's something that will be ironed out. Like that uh, that'll be easy to figure out in gameplay. But um, I did like the the aspect of using wind to be your your guide. I think it's a, it's a really uh, innovative uh, way to just instead of just having the yellow line on your map. Um, right. So I thought that was really cool. I liked uh, how um, they have it set up for exploration, where you can follow animals. That they said like animals might lead you to something interesting or mm-hmm. or smoke. Um, I know that it's getting a lot of comparisons to Breath of the Wild, and I know that. Uh, um, I, I don't see it. I understand why people are making the comparisons. Um, but for me, the thing that makes me excited about it is it, it doesn't, it has that openness that people might be thinking of Breath of the Wild, Breath of the Wild but it still gives me the linearity of gameplay. Right. You follow this. Follow this if you want to explore, look for these things. So like I know when I play this, there's there's definite places I can go and things to do, but also I have these options to do other things. If I just want to play this game and beeline the main story, it appears I can very easily do that. Right. Obviously, I'd be missing out on things. Um, my confusion came in the combat, so I'm very curious. So th- there's definitely parts where they show... Um, like buttons pop up on the screen for like stealth attacks or uh, jumping attacks, but they show very specifically like what I would call like Bushido blade esque combat, right. the samurai style. But, but no, nowhere in that demo is it ever made clear how you're performing the actions that he's doing. In fact, there's no, like this is like these like quick instant kills Right. But there's no indication on the screen at all, like, hey, like parry or anything. Right. So I'm, I'm very curious to see how that plays out because later when he is doing sword combat, they do show 
the D-pad allows you to change your stances. Um, so that is clear. So I did yep. understand that, but I there seems to be a very important part of the game that looked very cool and challenging that I was just kind of curious uh, how that's going to handle when the game comes out. Uh, it's not a bad thing, and they may not have told us for a specific reason. Right. Um, I'm just curious to see um, if it's too Dark Soulsy for me, or if it's like mm. Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, and I'm okay with that. Right. Um, so I'm curious where that's going to go. Uh, otherwise, uh, visually, it's impressive to say the least. Uh, the horse riding uh, looks seamless. I-, I love that you can talk to people while you're on your horse and you don't have to get I down. I love that you can pick up like these bamboo mm-hmm. shoots or flowers as you're riding. You don't have to get off your horse. So right. I really felt a lot. I, I really saw a lot of Horizon Zero Dawn in this. And, yeah. and uh, that made me excited for a game that I don't think I was excited for. Right. <laughs> I can, yeah no i'm i've been cautiously optimistic and interested in ghost of tsushima almost more than the last of us part two really since the game was announced in some ways because i just l- really love sucker punch i love the infamous games i think they're so much fun to play and i think whether or not they have the best open worlds i don't I, I wouldn't make that argument but at least in the infamous series some of the most fun navigating open worlds, yeah. I think, is definitely within the Infamous series. And this is different. I think we've all ridden horses in games at this point. Sure. Uh, it's kind of par for the course. But it is cool to see, like you said, the wind and the birds and the foxes. These are not things unique to this game. But they're just implementing the, like you said, the no yellow line. Instead, you get some wind to really help you feel part of that world. And the cool thing about that is is it kind of makes, I don't know what the proper term for this is, which is bad, but like the cape thing he has on yeah. actually has some like gameplay value then. Because if you're like me and you play golf games <laughs> and you th- and you drop the grass, you're like, I don't understand which way that's going. Right. Um, having my cape actually show like where which direction the wind is blowing as a result of that is helpful for someone like me. But I'm really excited. I will say I was a little, the downfall, I think, of streams like this is that you watch the stream and bitrate, compression, all of those things come into it, right? Yeah. You look at it and you're like, well, it seems like this looks pretty cool. But then when I went back and watched the 4K stream of it after the fact, yeah, oh my goodness, things look so much more amazing <laughs> than they did in the stream itself the first time. And I think that's just something that's going to need to kind of get figured out as we go and probably something that's going to be very challenging for revealing these new consoles revealing the games for these consoles is how do you put the best foot forward knowing that the stream quality is probably not going to be that great i know we talked about that a little bit last week but i think you know we saw it even for talking about current gen games the impact that that can have yeah so hopefully that gets resolved but yeah i'm really excited for this game i think they did a really nice job of showing important things of showing things people care about and maybe you didn't care about everything maybe you don't care about the customization maybe you don't care about photo mode but those are things that especially sucker punch fans really seem to care about they really care about photo mode because the photo mode in the in infamous first light and second sun is great uh, and there's a lot of cool things that have been done with that i think doing the cinema grain is a cool thing that you yeah. don't have to use if <laughs> yeah. you don't want to but i think on. the fact <laughs> yeah i think the fact that they took the effort to put that in there is pretty cool that was the one thing that going back and watching it later 
it looked so much better than it did during the stream. Yeah. Because during the stream, there were parts of it that were really muddled and kind of hard to see. Uh, watching it in 4K afterwards, I, I, I became more of a believer in it. I don't think I'll play it that way, at least the first time I play the game, because everything else is so darn beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think it looks pretty awesome. Uh, you spoke really briefly about the comparison to Breath of the Wild, and Donnie and I had a conversation a little bit on Twitter about that. Yeah. What do you think of when we see new games for the first time or new IP for the first time, it is something we just normally do, right? We we tend to tie it to something we know because that helps us give us a place to categorize the game, right? Yeah. When we when we see something new for the first time and are trying to decide how to feel about it, we have to connect it to something we already know how we feel about it, right? Yeah. I connected this game mostly to Assassin's Creed. Yeah. I think obviously the combat when you do the samurai combat very different than well i shouldn't say very different different than assassin's creed not quite the same but especially the ghost stuff uh felt very assassin's creedy to me that to me is a fun cool vibe i like that vibe i think for me the comparison to breath of the wild the reason i shy away from that one is i think that's really weighty expectations to put on a new ip right um what do you think am i not taking that the way people are. You know what I'm saying? Like when people say, oh, this reminds me of Breath of the Wild. Am I overreacting by saying, well, I think you're putting unfair pressure on this game because of, you know, <clears throat> Breath of the Wild game of the generation game of best game of all time right. for some people. Does that set Ghost up for failure because you're immediately trying to compare it to one of the best games ever made? No, I mean, uh, I don't think that at all. In fact, I I also tweeted at Donnie um, when, when he was sharing that. And I mean, I, I just said, why can't we live in a world where Breath of the Wild stands on its own, where we don't have to compare it to other games or vice versa? Um, and and Donnie, he didn't know where I was coming from, I guess. Um, he said he feels like tons of games, mechanics from games, characters get compared um, every time we see a new one, like you just said, right? So he didn't understand the approach, but he didn't think it was a disservice to anyone to say something reminds you of it. Well... The tweet he was quoting was like, this is something I've been dying to do in Breath of the Wild that I never got to do. Or mm -hmm. like, it's almost like disparaging this game that you say you love because it's letting you do something you couldn't like you, oh, okay. you yep. when you play a game, it lets you do what it wants you to be able to do. Right. Like if you feel like you didn't get the opportunity to do that in the game, well, that's your unfair expectations of the game, not the game's fault. Like if I played it, I really wish I could have climbed the Grand Canyon. Like that's not part right. of the game. Like it's you know, you kinda have to like let that part go. I just feel like Breath of the Wild is is what it is. Now you could say like I think you can say any game reminds you of something. Like I just said like I caught Horizon Zero Dawn vibes. Mm -hmm. Um but I think like I agree more with you in the in the in the mindset like we, I think we just need to get more excited about a game without comparing it to other games. I know that like our brains kind of do that to a certain degree, but you, but you're right. If you start building up expectations, because this is what's going to happen. Someone starts playing Go Tsushima. Ah, I ran into the edge of the world. Ah, I can't climb this cliff and I just really need to get up there somehow. I mean, you could do that in Breath of the Wild. There's no edges in Breath of the Wild. I could climb like, that's where I think that's no pun intended. You have a slippery slope and, and <laughs> you can start getting caught up in what it isn't instead of what it is. Right. So like it's very easy. No game is breath of the wild and 
Breath of the Wild 2 is not going to be Breath of the Wild because it's going to be Breath of the Wild 2. And right. I think that I think at least for me, I would really like to get away from even even if you you're saying you're not holding high expectations to something, if you compare it to your favorite game of all time or the highest rated game of all time, you're putting expectations on something whether right. you think you are or not. And if you don't, the people who are listening to you are. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least some people. <laughs> <laughs> I think I heard someone make the comment of, uh, you know, I wonder if you could jump off the cliff and just hold on to his hat, to, like glide down. <laughs> to glide down. Like, like, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, leaf. oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, boy. And I think that's the thing. I, again, this is not meant to single any individual out about comparing games to other games. Oh, no, like I, I said, agree. we all we, we, we just talked to it. about it. That's all. Yeah. We all do it. And I, I'm trying to be better about judging a game for what a game is not what i wish it would be right and i think that is a hard thing to do though especially when you know as people have alluded as donnie said that you know games borrow things from other games all the time almost nothing almost no individual mechanics are original it's how you combine all these familiar things into its own package that makes something special granted there are some games that come out that are wholly original and do things on their own that we've never seen before but for the most part games are taking ideas we've known refining them changing them up a little bit, putting our own spin on them from, you know, a company standpoint and then delivering that package in a new different way that maybe we haven't seen something we're familiar with before. So I'm excited for this game. I'm hopeful for it, but I'm also trying not to put too much expectation on it because like I said, it is a new IP. It it is a ambitious game from any standards it seems. So I'm hopeful that they're going to be successful with it. I hope that it does live up to the high expectations. Uh, and they said, you know, they're gonna, they're excited to show us more in the future. So I, I assume we'll get more of this ty- style stuff uh, coming up. But I think that Sony really had to get this taken care of because we hadn't gotten a good look at Ghost in a very long time. Uh, yeah. But now that we've had some good looks at Tilo, now that we've had some good looks at this... I think now PlayStation might finally start talking a little more in depth about PlayStation 5. Uh, and I think, though, the reason we hadn't heard anything yet was because we still had to get a little bit of info about Ghost of Tsushima out. So hopefully that helps now transition things to the future. Because this game's coming. I know I'm going to play it. It's already ordered. Uh, so it's going <laughs> to get played. But I would love to hear some PlayStation 5 news. So anything else you'd like to say about the Ghost of Tsushima state of play? So. Well, that's awesome. Really and on to uh, your third topic, sir. Well, speaking of games for holding them to what they are and not what your expectations of them uh, <laughs> sh- uh, should have been, um, it looks like uh, good old Bioware, uh, they can't just leave Anthem on that farm they sent them out to uh, many months ago. Uh, we got, we're getting an update. Well, we got an update, and I put update in quotes because uh, we got a quote update on uh, they're a Frankenstein project known as Anthem, and well, their update is that they're going to start working on it soon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, essentially, this is from Eurogamer. Um, they are making first progress on their major overall, uh, and they uh, they call it a substantial reinvention. At least that's what they called it in February. Uh, now we find out. There's a 30-person team, which doesn't seem like a lot, uh, currently at the incubation stage of development. And if anyone has watched uh, Silicon Valley like I have, uh, <laughs> an incubation stage is really an idea stage for a product. 
but the problem is we don't need an idea for a product. We have a full product already. We do. So I think my question to you is, does the world need Anthem to come back? Or should maybe Bioware be putting those 30 people to work on a different IP or project or trash collection or vending machine repair? What do you think? Oh, are you saying that they should be working on that uh, Mass Effect trilogy remaster? Is that what you say they should be working on? I just, I don't know. Should they be working on (laughs) anything else but the incubation stage of a new anthem? (laughs) Yeah. Which isn't new. This is... This is so odd to me, right? Because, and I think someone in the comments of this Eurogamer article, uh, user stochastic, I think sums it up really well. They say, part of me wants to applaud them for supporting an already released game, but I can't help but feel that these resources would be better spent developing a new, better game. Especially now that we're on the cusp of a new generation, there's an opportunity for a fresh start. Heck, they could even use the Anthem IP if they want. And... I think that really well sums up how I feel about it. I, I'm wondering with the size of team they have working on this and how long it will probably take them to do anything of substance. Is anyone going to care anymore? I know. It's scary to think because, I mean, I don't want to say I enjoyed Anthem for what it was, right? I, right. I understand that it was a a very problematic project for a yep. lot of people and and. They definitely didn't deliver on what they promised. I was fortunate enough to play this game when people were still playing it and you could actually complete missions. Right. Um, So, yeah. Do I think maybe they should have spent the time to fix the current game and and maybe work on infrastructure and, and, and matchmaking? Yeah, I really wish they fixed that or put in AI. Uh, to support you in missions instead of maybe shelving the whole game, leaving it a wasteland if you want to go try and play it now with no support and no, like no in-game events. Like it's insane that, that this is something that they put so much work into and, and just, I don't know, just, and this is where we are. Right. Yeah. It's just so odd. And I, part of me says if we weren't on the cusp of a new console generation, I might be more okay with this, right? But knowing that the game came out over a year ago at this point, that the team is very small, and they even say in the blog post itself that this is going to be a long process. Yeah, how long? That's like two years, three years? Right. So are we saying on the two-year anniversary we're going to get a major update? But at that point, granted, not everyone is transitioning to a new generation of consoles day one, but... We're gonna. Most people, I feel like, at that point, are gonna be moved on. Maybe, maybe it'll hit at such an odd point or an odd time inflection because, you know, who knows where Destiny Two will be as far as moving over to the next generation. Yeah. Maybe whatever whatever Ubisoft is doing with their five AAA games are releasing in a six month window. <laughs> who knows where those are going to be at? Who knows where Microsoft first party studios are going to be at with their new offerings for Xbox series X, who knows what was going to be on the PlayStation five. Like maybe it'll just hit at the right time where people will say, Hey, yeah, I want to go back to that. But for people like myself who have moved, will have likely moved on to the next generation. Yes. Things are going to be backwards compatible, but what's going to drive me to want to boot up Anthem again? Right, a game that we've already completed. 
Right. Right. <laughs> that most people that have played it or who will be interested in this have already completed. Yeah. Okay, do you want to play this PlayStation 5 exclusive or you want to go revisit Anthem again? <laughs> right. And the thing we don't know, are they going to charge us for it? Because they haven't decided yet. I think they have to, right? Because if they charge for it, I don't know what would happen. have to happen for me to pay money to play that game again. No, I paid so much for the base version. <laughs> I'm not going right. to buy this game again. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Part of... Yeah. I I hope whatever... I always want games to be successful. That is the goal. I, I hope everything can be successful. And we have seen games come back from fraught starts to be very, very successful. I just don't know why Anthem to me feels more like Evolve than it does No Man's Sky. Right. And No Man's Sky is the way to go, right? But you you take... Anthem took $100 from me. And if they're going to expect me... And I didn't, I got maybe $40 of content. If right. they expect me to give them more money, there's no way on principle that I would allow that to happen. As, as much as I used to love Bioware. <laughs> right. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because the people working on it are the Austin team. You know, yeah. it's no one from the main studio who's working on it. And not that the Austin team is bad. They obviously do a lot of good work there. But the main studio has obviously moved on to working on Dragon Age and Drake, working on whatever else is after Dragon Age. So it'll be interesting to see how this all works. I wish them the best of luck. I hope they're able to knock it out of the park and they're going to and they're able to breathe new life into that game. I'm just very skeptical about their ability to do that. Well, that is a good Kyle to take to have on that. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Anything else you want to say about Anthem? No, it makes me sad. That's all. I know. <laughs> I don't like Coach Hulk. Lo- uh, Coach Mo loves it. I did love it. I really did. I really loved it for what it was. I just really wish they kept supporting it. I wish they took the No Man's Sky route. They made a mistake. They kept supporting it constantly. They kept a- updating it constantly. And now No Man's Sky is unrecognizable and yeah. arguably a great game. So uh, I just really wish that they took a different approach to what is eventually be where we are now. For sure. All right. And my final topic, probably no surprise to anyone is that Epic took some time on Jeff Keighley's Summer Game Fest to announce and reveal the upcoming Unreal Engine 5 running in real time on a PlayStation 5. Josh, I'm assuming you watched this, at least the short little clip of it. I did watch it, yes. Okay. Did you watch the whole interview or no? No, no. <laughs> okay. Here's one thing I want to know. And this is, this goes true for pretty much... Every tech thing I've seen so far yeah, that has been streamed like this, where we've seen people in positions of significant influence who are probably very – have significant money. How do they have worst home setups for (laughs) Skype calls, Zoom meetings, anything like that than we do, Josh? How is that possible? I saw Jimmy – Fallon interviewed Bill Murray, and he must have been using the original Logitech webcam from his living room. <laughs> you couldn't see anything; it was all blur. So yeah, uh, so yeah. Summer Games Le- Lecture Fest definitely had some <laughs> poor video quality. I just I don't understand. I I really don't get it. Mail them out ju- a microphone and mail them out a webcam. Tim Sweeney, <laughs> who owns Epic, is literally a millionaire. A millionaire. 
Well, he didn't get rich by spending all his money, Kyle. I guess so. <laughs> but my goodness, if you know you're going to be doing an hour conversation <laughs> about your new awesome engine, you think you'd upgrade, spend a hundred bucks to get a better webcam and a decent microphone. I mean, come on. Anyway, yeah. enough of enough of the soapbox. <laughs> what did you think of the actual demo of Unreal Engine 5? Anything stick out to you? What were your thoughts on it? That was impressive to say the least uh but ever since i watched that prince of persia video last week i'm skeptical of everything i watch because they like (laughs) put in like x to jump and i'm like no someone edited that in (laughs) there's no x button (laughs) um no actually my wife watched it with me and she was like what game is this and i said it's not a game it's just a tech demo and i had to explain to her what that was and then i was like but you know like this could be a game like we actually they never it's never been said a tech demo can't be from a game. Um, I think there was, it might have been too Tomb Raider-ish to maybe try to make that into an IP, but right. um, it definitely came across as um, organic, and mm-hmm. I liked that aspect of it. I thought it, uh, uh, so th- this was the thing, right, that people were talking about, what what exactly is next generation, and people had some questions after the Xbox presentation. Right. So I think this answered it without even really answering it it showed this demo and it focused on light refraction and triangles and and and, uh millions of triangles (laughs) what what objects are made up of in these games and i think what they really showed is next generation is detail yeah and lots and lots of detail Mm -hmm. they didn't say this but there'll also there will also be people who can't take advantage of that detail because it depends on what TV you have and oh for sure and things like that, but uh, everything that they showed technically was impressive uh, for sure. And the lighting when when they open the when she opens the the tomb or whatever you want to call it, and all mm-hmm. those the lighting effects uh, were just I mean the best thing I've seen uh, so far in gaming. Yeah, it was pretty stunning looking. I, again, this is a situation where I watched the stream. And said, that looks pretty nice. Yeah, I watched the 4K version of it. (laughs) And then I watched the 4K version afterwards and said, wow, that looks real, real nice. That is a good looking tech demo for certain. And I started watching the conversation that they had afterwards. And then I said, none of this is, yeah, I, (laughs) these are not (laughs) things that matter a ton to me, but that's cool. I do love too, that they get really into naming of things with Lumen and Nanite, uh, terms that who knows if those will ever be used again, but they got used during this thing. So that's cool. And yeah, I, I think it, like you said, it really helped show as best I think we can on current technology what the next generation of games might look like. Now, granted, this this engine isn't out yet. It's not going to be out until next year at some yeah. point. So it's still a ways away. And just like any the start of any console generation, nothing is going to look as good day one as it's going to look, you know, at the end of the generation. Right. There, there are sometimes a few exceptions to that. And usually those are games that don't review very well. Rise still looks really nice. <laughs> the Order 1886 still looks real good. Uh <laughs> But those games tend to focus on the graphic horsepower, not maybe as much the gameplay. Um, but yeah, I, I was excited about it. I thought it was kind of a cool tech demo. It was a fun looking game. Like you said, that probably will never, ever be a game. 
Yeah. Uh, they did verify that it was running. It wasn't a recorded thing. And this was something that was an actual demo that was created that someone was controlling. Um, so it wasn't just a video of something. Uh, they did clarify that when she was crawling through the tight space, that was not a, to hide a loading <laughs> screen. It was to show the detail on the objects that were right there. There was no load. Well, the that internet was disagrees there. with you. <laughs> I know. They're clearly lying. So... Yeah, I think it was cool. I, I think it was fun to kind of see what we might have ahead of us, even if it is a bit further out. Uh, one thing that was kind of neat that was hidden amongst all of this that probably only people really care about if they're developers, but I still thought was kind of cool is Epic is really putting the full court press into being a publisher and in some ways trying to really support other studios in making games. And one of the things that came out during all of this was the fact that right now, uh, if you use Unreal to make your game, previously it was after $3,000 of that you've made, you started having to pay like 5% to Unreal, and that was like per quarter, right? They have changed that to you don't own Epic anything until your game makes at least $1 million. Wow. Which I think just is just another step forward, and that is retroactive to the beginning of this year. Nice. So that's even with Unreal 4. And I think that just really shows between that, between Epic signing uh, publishing contracts that are um, 50-50 and the uh, studios get to keep the IPs like they did with Remedy and with uh, the inside people who are forgetting their name and... Play Dead. Uh, Play Dead. And then, um, oh gosh, why am I blanking the guy who made Shadow of the Colossus and Eco and... Oh yeah, I can't. Yeah, uh-huh. his studio. Why yeah. I can't the fact that I can't remember that is horrible. <laughs> but anyway, uh, you know, sign those contracts, those publishing contracts with them. They're getting very, very developer friendly, and I think the great part about that is that developers, for the most part, tend to pass that on to consumers. Yeah, that's true. You know, so if this means that hey, we don't have to worry about covering the cost of our engine for until we make a million dollars, maybe our game can be a little less expensive. Or if we're able to keep the IP or more percentage of the what we make off of our game, maybe it doesn't have to be quite as expensive. And I, I think the fact that they're doing that is very, very cool. Issues with Epic Store aside, I know some people have some huge issues with it. I think it's nice to see that they're really trying to be very supportive of developers. Absolutely. All right. Any fi- other thoughts on this before I ask you one last question? I'm just excited to see, now that we know what it can do, I'm just uh-huh. I'm excited to see it implemented. Um, I do know, I know that it's not coming out till 2021, but I'm pretty sure, didn't PlayStation say it's already being developed in their games, though, for PS5? They are in close, so it is optimized, the engine is being optimized to work on PS5 hardware, especially with the SSD. Okay. So oh, I think that's going to be interesting yeah. to see what happens with that. Yeah, so that is what they have said that they were working to ensure that it's optimized to work with PlayStation 5's SSD. 2021 is going to be an expensive year for um, <laughs> hard drive space for next gen consoles. Yes, yes it is. So here's my question for you, Josh. Yes. So, you know, in the last couple of weeks we had Xbox come out and they had their third party conference thing that happened. Yeah. Or their inside Xbox with third party games. People have been badgering PlayStation for being super quiet about next generation. Yep. They come out, they don't even they don't even tweet about this event. They said nothing about this thing. 
But during it, they talk about how this is Unreal 5 running on a PlayStation 5. Yeah. And then a couple days later, they show Ghost of Tsushima, yeah. of Tsushima for PS4. Yeah. Um, who do you think, was this the right strategy by PlayStation? It's interesting. I'm curious how much of a say they had in the Epic thing. Like if Epic was, if they were like, because they could, they're doing it. It's working. It's going to work on Xbox Absolutely Series X too. So I'm curious, like. If the conversations were like they reached out to Sony and right. they were like, hey, or if Sony reached out to them or what the case may be, mm-hmm. um, I think that's the tipping point, right? A Ghost of Tsushima, still better than the Xbox presentation, but I think if the Epic event, they used Xbox's name instead, mm-hmm. I think Xbox would be out on on top. But yeah, I think because they had a strong presentation with Ghosts and this epic thing came out i think that you know i think that sets playstation apart right now at least right but we at least yeah. know microsoft has something every month we don't know we do. what the heck is going on with sony yeah so at least the we po- know we have something to look forward to right now yeah do you assume so i know that xbox has said that june's event will be different yeah. do you assume that is Price, release, pre-order, maybe Lockhart's introduction. Do you think that's what June is? It has to be their E3 presentation, right? It has to right. be games, first-party games, console, price. Well, they said we first-party games like. is July. Oh, they said July. July, well, they said it's first-party games. Okay. July is first-party. So console-specific presentation. So these inside Xbox, they do this great thing at showing boring content about how things are made. <laughs> so we'll get... Maybe we get Series X and we get Series S. Right. And prices and 25 minutes on how it was developed. <laughs> and right. And then we get the price at the end. And, and then release. And release. Yeah. yeah. Pre-orders probably. And pro- well, yeah, it's a weird time in the world where maybe just digital pre-orders. You can't walk into a GameStop yet. Well, right. But you can order on Amazon. You can yeah. order on GameStop.com. Yeah. Yeah, Target. I mean, that com. would make sense. Get those pre-orders out ahead of PlayStation. Right. So people decide with their wallet then. And then yeah. PlayStation 5 comes out. Hey, we're coming out here with this price. And everyone's, well, not everyone, but the people on the fence right, are either like, oh, well, I already pre-ordered my Xbox. Or, okay, I'll pre-order this instead of the Xbox. Yeah. I'm really interested. Do you think Lockhart is the thing? Do you think that is definitely going to be announced? I think. If it's a thing, they have to announce it. Uh, okay. That's I think all point all rumors are pointing to it being real, unless right. you listen to what Phil Spencer says, where he right. says it's not a thing. So, <laughs> right, yeah, I I think the Lockhart idea is interesting, especially since you know rumors are it would be less powerful than a One X, right? It's t- I think it was like two teraflops more than a One X or two tra- teraflops oh, was it? less. It might be two. Less. I thought it was. Yeah, I thought it was two less. Okay, two less, um, yeah. And I just I, I find it interesting if that's the case because I think and this is one of those things that in my mind is important, but to a lot of people probably won't matter at all because no one will care. But I, I do find it interesting that if that's the case, how do you justify saying, Oh, this console is less ex- less powerful than this other console of the current of the current generation. Yeah. But if you want to get next gen by this less powerful console. And I know, especially if you are in our Discord, there's a lot of conversations about how the CPU, GPU, all the tech stuff, well, even though it's less powerful because of how, you know, the they're not as constrained by the CPU and GPU processing and all that good stuff, cool, 
But then how do you market that? But then also say that your console is more powerful than the PS5, your Series X. You know what I'm saying? Because you're justifying the power of your lesser console yeah. by using the same argument PlayStation is using to say our console is just as powerful as your console with more teraflops. Yeah, I mean, it, it is tricky. I mean, that's the problem, right? Everything's leveraging on these teraflops that nobody really cares about. Um, no, nobody really does. Uh, so I think that that's just, I don't know when it started, but someone said it and then everyone latched onto it. So like, yeah, that was just this thing that happened. It could have been anything. It could have been like VRAM. <laughs> like, or yeah, like, that's that's just, like, it doesn't matter. It was just something that people caught onto. I'm going to put a, a crazy statement that 90% of xbox one x or playstation 4 pro owners don't know how many teraflops their console has and very, it doesn't oh, matter if god of war looks as good as it does i don't care how many teraflops there are <laughs> if you put out lockhart and you show me it run a, a game running on it that looks great i don't care right. about the internals i know that the, there are people who do care about that for sure but if i can buy a next gen console for $200, why wouldn't I do that if I don't have the money to buy a Series X? Like, right. that's the market they're after. They're not after the Teraflop-ers. <laughs> no, they're absolutely. Not, you know, so I agree with you. That it's tough for them to... Like, they wouldn't say Lockhart is more powerful than the PS5. They wouldn't say that. They would say the Series X is. And I think that they need to be very clear in their messaging on what is what, and it can't be around games if that's the case. Like, if you can play Halo Infinite on Lockhart, you can't say um, running on the most powerful console because it's also not. Right. I meant that them justifying that, oh, no, you are buying a next-gen system even though it's less powerful than a current than the Xbox One yeah. X. I mean, it's the PC It's the PC model. Like, my PC... Oh, for sure. I can play the same game with Dev at the same time, but his... He's he. I'm playing on an Xbox One, right? And he's playing actually. I'm playing on an Xbox, and he's playing yeah. on an Xbox One X. Right. The game right, still right. runs, right? Yep. It's in it in to me. It looks good, but if I sat with my screen next to Devs, I would be sad. <laughs> so <laughs> that would be the difference. And I think what next gen is in that aspect that really is what they're going to have to deal with is um, competitive multiplayer games. Yeah. Um, across these generations, because and, sure. and especially if Xbox throws a wrench in with a different console as well, yeah, uh, it's going to be interesting how they handle um, multiplayer that way. But otherwise, like single Agreed. player games, uh, hey, if I can, pl- you know, you might have a better experience on a two hundred and fifty dollars system than a five hundred dollars system. Very true. Yeah. So all rumors are. Currently, June 4th is the date that is slated for PlayStation's reveal. It's right around the corner. That is the rumor. Yeah, that is the rumor. Uh, but that rumor also says it could be delayed a week or two because of COVID stuff. Sure. Uh, but also, supposedly, they have a whole lowdown of games to show. Nice. When they do it all. So we'll see what happens, how accurate all those rumors are. Uh, the per- the people in charge of those rumors have been pretty accurate about all the other stuff this summer, though. So we'll see where that shakes out. All right, Josh, we do have a listener-submitted question. Why don't you take us through it? Sure thing. Splig at Doblicious hit us up on Twitter. He says, games in the last few years uh, you think are going to uh, – games in the last few years you think are going to be evergreen. Uh, he is, I believe, talking about board games. 
Uh, he says, please give me hope. Our grandchildren won't be playing cards against humanity. Well, I don't think I need to give you hope because if you think we're going to live long enough to have grandchildren, hey, you already have hope. <laughs> <laughs> so good for you. But no, uh, there's definitely an audience for Cards Against Humanity. And there will always be 18 to 25 year olds playing Cards Against Humanity. It will always exist. It's just out there. And and everyone ages out of it at a certain point. I, I honestly, I don't play it. I have it. But if someone asked me to play it, I would still play it. Uh, I, I, it's not, um, it's not reached apples to apples level for me yet. Uh, so I still right. generally enjoy it. Um, I know that people are kind of over the crude humor, but there's definitely age ranges uh, that that won't affect. Uh, we're back in Evergreen Games. Uh, that I think came out in the last few years. I mean, uh, Everdell, all the century games, um, Sagrada, Azul. I think those are games that will last, um, forever. I don't know. Do you have any other ones you can think of? I think code names. Oh yeah. Code names for sure. Yeah. I think code names definitely going to stick around. I think we'll still see printings of that game for years and years to come, especially because of how flexible it is and how many different editions it is. Um, one that I think could potentially also fit that it'll depend on whether it gets into larger distribution into store like targets and Walmarts and stuff. But I think wingspan has the possibility for sure. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that's a game. Oh, miss monopoly. Definitely... <laughs> I almost forgot that. Oh one. gosh. Yeah. Very, very <laughs> important one there. Um, I think that again, <laughs> empowering oh, women for, for years to come. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But no, I, I definitely think, though, Codenames I, overall, I think, is the game that's going to have the most ability to stay in print, to really be that game that is a more casual game that people are still playing for years and years down the line. Yeah. I'm trying to think of other things that might potentially fit that. <sighs> Man. I keep looking around. I don't know. Maybe know Sushi Go. <laughs> sushi Go. Yeah, that's a great one. If we're thinking like... Easy to teach, easy to play games, um, for sure. I'm trying to think. Because that tends to be evergreen games, right? Because it's, you know, your Catans, your Pandemics. Yeah. Uh, shoot. Why aren't things sticking out in my house? That's all these games I have, Kyle. I can't find <laughs> an evergreen title. I really uh, thought Love Letter was going to be, and I guess maybe it still kind of is. Yeah, I don't know sure. if you agree with that or not. I think Love Letter, with it, with all the other themes that have come out with it too, and um, it, like that new Infinity Gauntlet one's coming out soon. Right. Uh, that could definitely make that list. Um, yeah, I mean, it's tough, it's tough to guess, right? Um, Villainous, I think, can definitely survive that test with Disney. Always right. being part of families. Mm-hmm. So like Villainous is a great... I wouldn't even call it an entryway game. It's not a gateway game. It's more mid. No. So, like, once people get their kids into board games at a younger age, like, this is, like, the teenage version of board gaming, right? Right. Like, now you're 15. Now you can play Villainous. And you can play that till you're 50. Like, or 60. Like, whatever. So, um, and who knows how many expansions will be out by then. Right. So, I think that could be one of them as well. Uh well, yeah, it's tough to kind of predict what's going to happen with that. Yeah. So those are off the top of my head, the ones that I can think of. I'm sure there's probably something very obvious that we're forgetting. Yeah, uh, for so sure. if you have a suggestion, dear listener, uh, hit us up at Twitter. Let us know what other games do you think will be evergreen games in the world of board games that our kids will be playing down the road. 
All right, Josh. I think it's about time we start kind of bringing this train into the station. Uh, so we do want to leave our dear listeners with one recommendation for a well-rounded life, something we're currently into that is not gaming related, but is helping us be a little more balanced in all the things we do. Josh, what is your recommendation? So mine was going to be the same as yours. And it still is. Um, however, life in the pandemic. It's been rough. We haven't seen our friends with the exception, like with the exception of some Skype calls. Um, but even like my best friend who lives literally next door to me, I haven't <laughs> been with him three feet of in months since March 7th. Not that I'm counting the days. Um, but something our friend group has done. And if you have a friend group in your area, this is my recommendation to you is make food for your friends that you don't see anymore. So people started baking because they have time on their hands. They're at home. So we would get deliveries at our back porch or our front porch that they would just drop off and send a text to our group. Hey, back porch. Like to, like to today, yesterday, I got surprise meringue, lemon meringue cookie delivery. Fresh homemade. Nice. And today we got chocolate chip scones. And I yes, and then I made homemade ice cream that I delivered to our friends. And we've gotten homemade crackers and homemade cookies. And uh, it's just one of those ways where you, you're showing support to your friends. You're driving to their houses and dropping stuff off for them. And they're returning the favor. And it's still a social activity to an extent. And it's kind of like how you would feel like going to a social gathering where people have prepared food. Uh, I made drunken pasta for everybody and delivered that. Well, not to everybody, to my neighbor. Um, but yeah, it's a nice way of reaching out, saying hi to your friends if you can. Um, and if you can cook, if you can't, just tell them you don't want any feedback. And if they don't like it, to dump it. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. All right. So cook your friends food because they're nice people. They deserve food. And maybe they'll cook food for you then, too. That's a great recommendation. Thanks. I appreciate that. Uh, my recommendation, you know, got to get back to television because can't, you know, have us talk about <laughs> well. not TV things for more than a week. Uh, but my recommendation is a show we've talked about on this podcast two times before. Mm, at least. But now the third, <laughs> at least now the third season is out. That is Magic for Humans season three is on Netflix. Uh, Justin Willman does these brief 20-minute shows, a little bit of comedy, lots of magic, all focused around one central idea or theme. Season three, now out. Number one, I'm really surprised at how quickly this came out because of the wait between season one and season two. Yeah, yeah. Because like one to two was over a year, and now season two to three was five months i'm sure netflix after season one was like uh make make all the seasons you can possibly make (laughs) right so yeah so they went pretty quickly so i'm hoping that they continue with this pace uh but yeah so again you know magician justin willman doing his thing the big thing to know about this show and i i know i have had talked to people about it who are like oh this is all fake he's really doing these tricks now obviously all magic is magic Right. So that's an important thing to keep in mind. But nothing he is doing is a camera trick. And I think that's the hard thing for people to still buy into, but has been shown and proven for these shows. Everything he's doing, our actual tricks he's doing, it's not just cool editing. 
with the sake of a camera. So just be aware of that. But it's a great show. If you're not into magic, I think hopefully it'll give you a cool perspective on magic. If you are into magic, you definitely need to see this one. He actually, in this season, did a one trick that was, I thought, super, super gross. Yes, uh, the teabag. Yes! <laughs> it made me so <laughs> uncomfortable. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I was so uncomfortable. But yeah. overall, great, great season. I think it was better than season two was. I really enjoyed season three. So. I cannot explain how he does what he does. And I know. I don't know either. I, I love every second of it. In fact, people th- in the previous seasons, he has... Uh, levitated, uh-huh. which is something I still can't wrap my head around. Mm-hmm. But he goes, I'm not going to spoil anything, but he goes to a nudist colony, camp, or whatever, and he does right. a trick that I don't know how it's possible in this world. Like, David Copperfield made the Statue of Liberty disappear, supposedly, right. with ma- like mirrors or whatever. But, like, right. what he does in front of people, naked... <laughs> So we can't hide anything was maybe the most impressive magic trick I've ever seen. Yeah. Probably. No, I absolutely agree. (laughs) Yeah. He, he is, he's something else. He's something special. So, and I I really love the fact that so many of his tricks are just really quick. Yeah. My, your mind is bent about what happened and he just moves on. There's no second thought. Yeah. It's like, but did you see what you just did? And it just keeps going. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. So that's Magic for Humans Season 3 on Netflix. Josh, what do you say we wrap the show up? Great idea. Thanks for joining us, everyone. In addition to finding us on Twitter and Instagram at Board with Fiji, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Board with Fiji. So feel free to give us a five-star rating over there. In fact, please give us a five-star rating over there. Don't feel <laughs> free to it. Just do it. Uh, also, if you want to communicate in the more long form, or you're just not feeling social media, please feel free to email us at boardwithvg at gmail.com. Uh, we tag ourselves with hashtag boardwithvg, so please use that hashtag as well so we can see what you're up to on all the social medias. And whatever podcast service you're listening to us on, we encourage you to give us a stellar rating. That is, whether you're downloading us from the PSVG feed, the Dice Tower Network feed, or our very own standalone board with video games feed. In fact, if you're on Apple Podcasts, give us a rating over there, because I know that actually does help. I don't think you can rate us on other podcast services yet. Uh, but someone gave us a one star. So let's get that. Let's get moving <laughs> forward to that five star rating. Uh, you can find me on uh, PlayStation Network and Xbox Live at Why So Serious. That's S I. R-R-I-U-S. I changed my Steam name to that as well, so you can find me there on Steam if you want to play some digital board games with me and maybe some other people. That's where I'll be. Kyle, where can people find you? So you can find me at all the usual places. Twitter, Instagram, PlayStation Network, Xbox Live, Board Gate Geek. Oh yeah, and Steam too now. All at <laughs> Psychocross, C-Y-C-O-C-R-O-S-S. As always, if you have suggestions for future topics, be sure to reach out to us on the social media because we want to talk about what you want to hear about. And remember, everyone, whether it be board games or video games, never stop gaming.